You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. As uh, we uh, continue in our series, The Rock Won't Move, we're going to take a break from this series um, next week and uh, get into a Christmas series for a couple of weeks and on uh, Christmas Eve. But this is a very important message we want to take a look at today from First Peter chapter 3. Uh, the title of the message is Life's Not Fair. Life's Not Fair. Do you ever feel that? you ever feel like for you, life's not fair. Now, you're driving along the highway, and you're in the midst of a whole line of people who are going too fast, and instead of the policeman picking the first guy out of the list, he picks you. You're the third guy along, and he picks you out, and you get a ticket, and you're sitting there thinking, life's not fair. How come that guy didn't get the ticket? The kids say it all the time. Now, life's not fair. The one child thinks they're favored over another. Or uh, I remember in our family, there were five children in our family. And whenever we had beans, uh, that wasn't green beans. This wasn't a good night in our house. And, and mom would take a spoonful and put them on everybody's plate because it wasn't an option. And I would always look at my plate and I was convinced there were more beans on my plate than anybody else's plate. And we would squawk and squabble and we start pulling them apart and counting them. And because life's not fair. Why should I have to eat eight beans when my brother only has to eat seven? After all, he's older. He should eat more anyways. And uh, life's not fair. I'm still getting counseling for those things in my life. And uh, (laughs) uh, you get the test back and you didn't think the test grade was fair. Life's not fair. A guy gets a promotion in your workplace and you think that promotion should be yours uh, because life's not fair. You think maybe I'm more gifted than someone else and they seem to get the advantages because life's not fair. The picture of life not being fair is pictured perfectly in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we think about um, our situation separated from God, And the Lord Jesus Christ comes and he dies on a cross so you and I could have eternal life. If if there's anyone who could ever say life's not fair, it was the Savior. Um, He went through what he went through so that I could have the blessings that I have. When you think about that, when you think about what Christ has done for you, when you realize how, quote unquote, unfair what Christ did for us, It should draw us to understand that God is awesome. I get what I don't deserve because Christ paid a price he didn't deserve. That is awesome. So you've got your Bibles open now, I trust. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse um, 18. Here it is. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight people, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for um, this word we will look at today. Peter, as he's writing to these people, he lays down some very heavy and significant things. And Lord, um, this one does not lack in importance. And so, Lord, as we open your word today, we pray, God, that your spirit would work in this place, that we would leave from here in some way changed, understanding what you did. So, Lord, would you just give us a passion, a heart, ears, God, that we would hear what you're saying to us today? Would our, would our trip of uh, getting dressed and coming to church not be wasted away by thoughts that are, are drawn to other things around, but, Lord, focus us for these moments on your word for what you will teach us for your glory. Give us ears to hear, minds that we would understand. And then, Lord, a passion in our hearts to live out these things for the fame of the one who paid the price for us, Jesus Christ the Lord. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, life's not fair. Uh, First thing I want to take a look at, let's take a look at the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation, verses 18 to 20. I'll I'll read them again for you, and then we're going to just simply walk through it. But Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prisons, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. The text starts out by saying, for Christ also suffered. The also suffered is referring back to the section that we just looked at last week in in verse 17. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Christ also suffered, but Christ suffered for doing good. And so he lays down that as the foundation, and then he just drives into some hugely significant things that we must never forget, and maybe for the first time today will be revealed to you as you understand what Christ accomplished for us, how unfair it was, but how willing he was to come. Here's the first thing it says, um, for Christ also suffered once for sins. Once for sins. Three words I want you to see about this. The first thing I want you to understand is the work of Christ was sufficient. It was enough. Uh, Jesus Christ didn't have to keep suffering over and over and over and over again. Um, In the Old Testament, they had to keep bringing the, the sacrifices over and over and over. But when the Lord Jesus Christ paid the price, it was sufficient once. That's all it took. Our trying to be good goes on every day. We try to, how do I reach God? How do I reach God? And what Christ did for us, he did once, once for sins. It was sufficient. It wasn't just barely enough. It was everything that was required. For Christ also suffered once for sins. It was sufficient. Here's another word. It was vicarious. It was vicarious. What that means is what he did, he did for me. He did it in my place. I should have been the one who suffered and died. I am the one who deserves to be on the cross. I'm the one who deserves to be separate from God for eternity. I am the one. But what Christ did, he did for me. He did in my place. If you're being asked to do that, you'd be going, that's not fair. Why should I have to do that? It's not even a good person that I'm asking to, be, to die for. I, I'm being asked to die for sinners who are unregenerate and don't even love you, God. And his work was sufficient. His work was 
vicarious. It was in my place. And here's a third word. It was a propitiation. It was a propitiation. The word propitiation carries the idea of appeasement or satisfaction, especially towards God. The two parts involve the appeasing of the wrath of God and and then being reconciled to God. He was the propitiation. He was the right and righteous, the only true, the only possible payment for us once for sin. 1 John 4.10 says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In Hebrews chapter 2, 17, it says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Once for sin, sufficient, vicarious, the propitiation. We learned a few weeks ago from 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That's not fair. Look what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. If you're sitting here this morning and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did, he did on your behalf. You didn't earn it and you didn't deserve it. There was no way. You you don't don't even go after God unless he brings you to a place of doing that. He himself. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, those words should cause you to stop and ponder and consider For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not God. No no man strives after God. We're enemies of God. And Jesus Christ died, the righteous for the unrighteous. Over in Romans, Paul talked a lot about this, and we saw this as we went through this book. But over in Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit, the righteous Lord Jesus Christ came, lived an exemplary, perfect life without sin, and then gave himself up, hung on a cross. The righteous for the unrighteous. So that by faith alone in Jesus Christ, all of our unrighteousness could be placed on him and all of his righteousness could be poured out and placed on us. So unfair, but so awesome what God has done for us. His righteousness, we call it imputed. It means it was put on us. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it, but God did it. Galatians 1, 4, and 5 says, uh, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. 
Philippians 3.9, and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. What an amazing truth. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. We were wandering away on a path that was leading to hell. We're going to see about judgment in just a minute. And, and that's what we were wandering on. And we didn't care. And we weren't going after God. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he did all of this for us. Why? So that he could bring us to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Romans chapter four, verses five to eight say, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And over in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, that he might bring us to God. Again, follower of Jesus Christ, all of this that he did for us. When we're out whining about I got too many beans or I got pulled out of the line and got a ticket or somebody else got the promotion and and we're thinking that life's just not fair and we need to stop and we need to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us so that he could bring us to God. And if you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, like you're already, that, that path to eternal life has already begun. You are already eternally saved. It's just a matter of time until you see all the blessings of it when we get to heaven. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ did all of that for you so that he could bring you to God. And all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You can't earn it. You can't win it. You don't deserve it. It's all what he did for us. It's all. And that's what makes it so ridiculously simple for us. And yet our hard hearts and our pride get in the way and and we're still trying to do our thing. And it's like, no, no, no. It was all delivered for you. Someone gave it all up for you. The Lord Jesus Christ. Believe. Just believe. Believe. Come to the place of understanding my sin separates me from God and there's nothing I can do about it. The Lord Jesus Christ came as the perfect example, the perfect sacrifice. And I believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, the plan of salvation, it says that he put to death the flesh but was made alive again in the spirit. Now, Jesus Christ had to die. Physically, he had to die, and he was raised again. In, in this text, it's interesting because it says he was raised uh, by the spirit. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it says that the Father raised him from the dead. And In John 2, 18 to 22, it says that Jesus raised himself from the dead. But the, the Lord Jesus Christ had to physically die. There had to be a sacrifice made 
And God in his trinity, God in all of his power, Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. He is alive. And we're going to see at the end what he's doing now for us as we finish up this text because it talks about him being in heaven for us. And then the text goes on in 1 Peter chapter 3 and, and Peter gets into some stuff. I, when I get to heaven, I'm going to get to ask him the question about what does all this mean um, and, and try and really understand what he's saying. But I'm going to give you the best understanding I have of what uh, Peter's talking about here because he's talking about it all in the context of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And so often people get lost in this next verse and lose all of what he just said um, but look at uh, verse 19. We'll dive into it for a few minutes. One of, the, one of the great challenges that we just preach through the Bible is you don't get to skip hard verses. You don't get to go, oh, we just want to talk about that. We'll just skip over and go to the next one. No, this is an interesting text. And I'm sure, as I said, when we get to heaven, we'll get it all figured out. But here's what it says in verse 19. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited for the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. It's going to talk about baptism in a minute and, and the picture of all that in the ark. But, but he gets into this thing about Jesus going to a preaching in prison. Some people think that Jesus, when he died, he went to hell. Um, Jesus never went to hell, not as a punished person. Now, Jesus went and preached. People believe that he went and preached in the place of the dead. Um, it's the message he delivers that's really the important thing. Uh, but somebody gave me a great illustration of this today, um, the other day, and we were talking about this. If, if the Lord Jesus Christ ever went anywhere near hell, it wasn't because he was on the side of prison where he was being punished for what he did. Um, he might have gone there like as the, um, as the clergyman who goes to a prison to preach. You go, but you're not a prisoner there. Um, that's probably not a bad example of it, but there's just not enough clarity in Scripture about it, and so I'm not going to make a big deal about it. The point is, what did he go to do? Why did he go there? He went there to pass on a message, not a message of the gospel of good news and you're getting a second chance, but a message of judgment, the cross is done. You have rejected God. You are being finally, in the work of Christ, judged. There's a final judgment that will come even still. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he goes and he preaches. See, what has happened? They're talking about the story of Noah. And God says, I'm going to destroy the world. Noah, you build a boat. Really? Yeah, you build a boat. For over 100 years, Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they work on building this boat that God is going to save his people in. And during that whole 100 years, they're preaching about what God is going to do and how the people need to repent. And the people mock and they curse God and they reject the work of God. And God judges the world and eight people are saved. Noah and his wife, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives, eight people. Everyone else is destroyed in the flood. And Jesus wasn't going to proclaim, now you get a second chance. 
Jesus was going to proclaim that their rejection and the rejection of everyone else in history was now, it was finished because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Warren Wearsby, I think, summed this up in a pretty amazing way. And so I want to read what he said. Um, I think it's best to take this passage literally. Noah, while he was building the ark, pled with the people of his day to follow the leadership of Almighty God, who was most patient with them. He gave them ample opportunity to do the things that he wanted them to do. But the time came when God's spirit would no longer strive with them. I love this sentence. He says, they sinned away their opportunity. Only eight entered the ark and were saved. The others were lost. Peter tells us that those who were lost, Jesus went and preached between his crucifixion and resurrection. The message he preached was that he had completed redemption and therefore their doom was sealed. There is no second chance. They send away their opportunity. It's happening around us every day. Uh, people are sending away their opportunity. One day, every one of us in this room is going to stand before God and we'll ask the question, what did you do with the Lord Jesus Christ? And there may be some in the room even right now who are sending away the opportunity that God has brought to you. He's been delivered to you on a red carpet today as you've come and heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and yet you still reject him. You still reject him. You hear all about it and you wonder about it. As it were, you're watching the ark being built and you're like, I'm, I'm not getting onto that. I'm not doing that thing. In Philippians chapter two, it says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not just Christians will bow. Christians will bow and then be welcomed into eternity with God in heaven forever. But everyone who has rejected the Lord, everyone who has sinned away the opportunity, their knee is going to bow as well and they're going to be separated from God in a place that's called hell forever. What will you do with the work of Jesus Christ? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we can have the righteousness of Christ in us. The ark is a great picture of salvation. It's a great picture of the type of Christ. Um, I have uh, six that, that I was looking at this week, and we think about the ark and, and what Jesus did and what they mean. And here's six things you can think about as you think about this text, as they were getting ready and what God was doing in his judgment of mankind. And here's the first thing. The ark was a divine means that God chose to save the eight people. It was God's plan. It was God's means. It was his divine means. Uh, people all over the world, some people in this room, you're trying to get to God in your way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And you're like, man, yeah, I got all that. I heard all that before, but, but I'm just going to try and do this. And, and your life proves that you really don't understand that it's all about Jesus Christ. This was in their time, back in Genesis 6, 7, 8, back in that area, you will see that this was the way God said. This was his divine, his divine means. Eight people got saved. After a hundred years of preaching, eight people in the whole world got saved. 
Here's the second thing. It was the exclusive way God chose to save his people. There wasn't any other way. You couldn't like hang on a life raft off the back. You couldn't try and do your thing. It was God's divine way and it was his exclusive way. It was the only way. Here's the third thing. The ark took the beating that saved the people who were inside. When the waters came and the storms came and all that was around, all those things that was destroying the world, the ark protected those who were in. It took the beating. Number four, entrance was voluntary. Nobody made anybody get in. You had to decide. Entrance into the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have to decide, I will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved. Here's the fifth thing. Entrance was free. Anybody could have got on the ark. You didn't have to have a ticket. You didn't have to pay. You didn't. It was free. Just like salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the free gift from God, not of works, so that nobody could ever boast about it. And here's the last thing. I'm sure there are more, but here's the last thing, and it's a cool thing, and that is when God shut the door, those who were inside were safely inside. Nothing could happen to them. God protected them. He cared for them, and the seal of your salvation in Jesus Christ is done. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hands. When you are saved, you are saved. Well, Peter goes on now and he uh, paints a different picture or an additional picture in verse 21. He talks about the picture of baptism. He says, baptism, which corresponds to this. So somehow it's a comparison and they went through the waters and God's protection in them and all of that. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And um, let's talk a little bit about baptism and what it does and what it doesn't do. Um, baptism doesn't save you. Last week, we had uh, someone get into the tank at this service, nine o'clock service, and uh, give his testimony, and uh, he was baptized. And uh, when Dan got into the tank last week, he didn't walk down the stairs and up beside Pastor Ed and unsaved. And then when Ed put him down and thankfully, thankfully brought him back up. He was saved. Baptism doesn't save you. So Peter's pretty clear, I think, even in the text. He says, it's, baptism doesn't wash you. You don't get clean by the baptism. But in Romans chapter six and verses one to six, it talks about, do we go on sinning that um, grace may abound? God forbid. And it says, we were baptized into Jesus Christ. So baptism doesn't save us. A baptism, baptism is a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. You're not saved by baptism, but every believer needs to be baptized. If you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to get in the tank. 
You need to reflect the picture because we are baptized. At the moment I trust the Lord Jesus Christ, I am baptized into Christ. And the picture is, here I am, I'm dead in my trespasses and sins, and he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And my baptism is my identification and my obedience, we're going to see those things in just a minute, to what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for me and what he has accomplished for me. It means to dip It means to immerse. It's not for babies. It's for believers. They that gladly received his word were baptized. People who trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Max Licato has a great little line about this. Baptism separates the tire kickers from the car buyers. It really says I'm in. Lord, this is what you did for me as unfair and it seems so ridiculous to me, but this is it, what you did and all I have to do believe and this is the way I identify with Christ. I believe it's like step number one for every believer. You need to get that done. And if you haven't got it done, you need to ask yourself, why not? Why haven't I done the thing that the Lord Jesus Christ told us we're supposed to do? Our church says uh, to glorify God by the, through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. Well, the great commission says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Go as you are going, make disciples. As you are making disciples, baptize them. Why? Because it's their identification with what the Lord Jesus Christ had done. When, when you are a follower of Christ in the day of Christ and you got baptized, you're saying like, I'm with him. It might have cost you dearly. It might have cost you relationships. might have cost you your job. might have cost you your whatever. But it said, I'm with him. And it's a picture of our salvation. And we're told in scripture that we need to do it. We need to obey. We need to identify you've not been baptized and you hear this message, that gnawing feeling that's going on. You go, Pastor Paul, you get on this thing way too often. Would you just let it go? No. Because the Bible says to do it. That gnawing feeling is not an obnoxious pastor. That gnawing feeling is conviction of what you know you have left undone that you need to do as the picture of how you identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me just say, if you're sitting here today and you're like, yeah, but you have to understand, like, it was so long ago I trusted Christ. I get it, I should have done it. But like, isn't the Lord just gonna give me a pass on this? Obedience, identification. You know, but like, like I'm over 40. I trusted Christ when I was eight obedience, identification. George sat, I think, right back over there one Sunday when I was preaching about baptism. And he said to me after, like, I was the only one in the room. You were, the, I was, you were preaching at me. I didn't even know he hadn't been baptized. And he came and in obedience, and he was old, believe me. <laughs> and he obeyed, and he identified with Christ, And it was a right thing for him to do. And if you've never been baptized, obey. 
But don't just do it for obedience sake. Do it because it's not just about obedience, but it's about how I identify that I'm with him. He's with me. We're in this together. That's what we're called to. Acts 16, 31 to 33 says, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds and and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. So remember what's going on here. They're in, they're in prison and the earthquake comes and the jailer is about to kill himself because he thinks these guys who I've been given a charge of and if I lose charge of these people, uh, the Romans are gonna take care of me, the Roman soldiers. And, and so he's about to kill himself and Paul says, don't kill yourself, we're all here. And, and has opportunity then to present the gospel to him and all of this is going on. His family is all sitting there and they're hearing what's going on and he believes and immediately they went out, he and his wife and all their kids, they're all sitting there learning the lesson and they got saved and they got baptized because they wanted to obey and they wanted to identify with their savior. One of the greatest ways you can identify with Christ is through your baptism. One of the greatest ways you can take hold of, oh my goodness, what he did for me was so unfair, but I'm gonna do this because I'm called to do it. There are other ways we identify with Christ. We identify with Christ in our sanctification and in our obedience and our acceptance of the word of God and uh, the way we love each other. All of those things are there, but, but this one is a picture of who Jesus is and what he did for us and what was accomplished for you. The last thing we want to take a look at in this text is the proof is in the resurrection. The proof is in the resurrection. In verses uh, 21, at the end of verse 21, and then in verse uh, 22, it says this. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If there's no resurrection, we're wasting our time here today. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers, having been subject to him. In Luke 24, 46, it says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 17, listen to these words. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. But if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. If there's no resurrection, we're the most pitiful people in the entire world. But the work of Christ is finished. The death of Christ was on a cross. He was 
the right and righteous and only payment. And he did die. And he rose again. It's the seal. It's the receipt. It's the, it is done for you. And one of the great hopes that we have through Christ's resurrection, not only is it salvation is finished, but now that Christ sits at the right hand of God and he makes intercession for us. What an amazing thought that, that Christ makes intercession on my behalf before almighty God. Oh, you got any verses on that, Pastor Paul? I just happen to have a couple. Um, Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Romans 8.34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Christ. Not only did he pay the price, but now he stands before God, interceding on my behalf. And I get to come in prayer with confidence and boldness, not because of who I am, not because of what I've done, but because of the one who intercedes on my behalf. The one who intercedes for me, he has finished the work. And the Lord Jesus Christ intercedes for me. We, we prayed before the service last night, the elders and some staff. We prayed before the service this morning and that's amazing that we get to talk to God. We get to come to the very throne room of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ because of the resurrection. Jesus is there interceding on our behalf and the work that we're doing is not falling on deaf ears and the things that we cry out to God for don't go to hear and stop. As obedient followers, Jesus is there in our place interceding for God. That's awesome. With the wounds in his hands and the scars in his feet. Because what he went through was so unfair. But there he is right now, right today, before God Almighty on my behalf, interceding for me. Well, so what? So what? Life's not fair. I'm convinced I had to eat more beans than my brothers and did. I'm convinced that I've been picked out and received a ticket in my life that somebody else probably should have got. After all, I was just in the pack. I'm convinced that maybe on a test somewhere, I didn't get the score that I think I should have got. Or maybe the opportunity or the... And we whine, whine, whine about how unfair things are. And when you find yourself in that little thing this week, just stop and remember Christ suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. And so the next time the thoughts about tough times and how hard it is and how unfair it is, remember this text, Jesus Christ, once for all, the only right payment in my place. That is awesome. 
Jesus paid it all so I could have eternal life in Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this is your word, and we thank you for it. We thank you for the working of your spirit, even in our hearts this morning. And Lord, I pray for the person who's here today who's never trusted Christ, that this would be the day in simple faith they would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Lord, if your spirit is working at them, gnawing at them about this thing, that uh, you would not allow that to stop. They would ask the person who brought them, can you show me more? I need to understand more about what Jesus did for me. Lord, maybe the uh, Spirit of God is um, gnawing at us in conviction because of an area of lack of obedience in our life. And Peter uses the illustration of baptism. But there are so many other things, Lord. What you went through for us, what you did for us, that's the picture of unfair. And yet you willingly came and suffered and died. You willingly paid it all for us. Father, give us the joy of our salvation, the passion to live out for you, living not for what we will suffer and what we will go through, but living for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ the Lord. Lord, do this work in us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.